Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. This is not a rally. On a day where the Dow gained 58 points, the S&P declined 0.11%, and the Nasdaq tumbled 1.05%, you need to understand that this is really a redistribution. It's not a bet on the future. It's a wager that some earnings estimates are going higher while others just stay the same. And judging by the intraday reversal, investors are starting to realize that we may be a little too enthusiastic about stocks in general, even if some really do deserve to be higher because of changes that are going to be made to taxes in this country. Today truly brought a bifurcation in stocks. The action was 100% about tax reform. Domestic companies get a big cut, while more internationally oriented companies, like most of tech, see much less of a benefit. Don't, don't, don't buy. Don't buy. Sure, they can repatriate capital from overseas at a better rate, but the real benefits here are for the purely domestic players. It's like Congress has waved the magic wand in every cable company, railroad, retail, and restaurant, as well as a smattering of industrials that have great U.S. exposure. And that wand has radically raised earnings for 2018. You know what? On days like today, it's worth remembering what actually moves stocks. The notion that the earnings estimates are either too high and the stocks go lower, or too low and the stocks go higher. For all these domestic groups, the estimates are suddenly too low because of the tax change, and that sends their stocks higher. The market doesn't care how the earnings become better than expected. It can be because management artificially boosted the earnings per share by buying back stock to shrink the share count, as the consumer packaged goods companies do so often. It can be because an international company benefits from a big swing in currency. Say the dollar gets weak versus the euro, and when the earnings are translated back, they produce a higher number. doesn't matter. Investors are just looking at that final number and seeing it as better than expected. So the stock jumps. And now tax reform is doing the same thing for domestic companies that pay their fair share of taxes. The ultimate rate for these businesses is coming down. It's coming down dramatically. Now, we aren't totally sure what the final rate will be, but it will be a heck of a lot lower than when the Senate passed the tax bill. Uh, You know, I got to tell you. I think it's going to be dramatically lower, and that's why we're getting this move. Again, you may think investors will see right through this and recognize that it's totally artificial. I mean, business business hasn't actually improved, right? They're just getting a tax break. But that is not how the stock market works. The numbers are all that matters, and the numbers just got better thanks to this tax cut. So when the dust settles, the analysts will have to raise their estimates, and we know that sends, that's the fuel that sends stocks higher. Now, maybe this rotation will reverse itself, and investors will swap back into the internationally oriented companies with breakout earnings that, in reality, are doing a lot better than the retailers or the restaurants that everybody's buying. But you can't hold your breath. It could take a while. I mean, we haven't even gotten the actual estimate bumps yet from the analysts for the domestic companies. Now, I know, 
I know this is a ridiculous way to judge stocks. I mean, nothing happened to these companies other than a piece of legislation that still has one more hurdle to clear. But professional money managers are constantly trying to assess which companies will have the biggest boost to their earnings. Right now, many of the tech stocks are selling off because the tax bill won't benefit them that much. Hey, they were great a week ago. They're still great now, but they haven't really gotten much better. And they're a fabulous source of funds for all these domestic stocks. How retailers could now have sharply better than expected numbers. And it's the rate of improvement here that matters. Now, you can have a double whammy positive and a double whammy negative. So let's take the double whammy positive first. Look at the stock of Home Depot. Right now, this largely domestic chain of 2,200 stores has an effective tax rate of 36%. In the new world, that rate could fall to perhaps as low as 20%. All that money that flowed to Uncle Sam now flows back to Home Depot. What will Home Depot do with a huge pile of cash? It can buy another company. That hasn't been Home Depot's way. It hasn't been putting up stores. Maybe it can offer a great dividend. Well, it might do that. It has a pretty good dividend, but the stock's moved up so much. But most important, though, it can buy back stock and shrink the denominator in its earnings per share calculus. Remember, no one will ask, how did they have that gigantic earnings gain? They'll simply see a substantially better than expected number and bid the stock up. That's why the stock's been going up. Of course, it helps that Home Depot is genuinely doing better than expected anyway. And same goes for Costco, Dollar Tree, Ross Stores, Children's Place, which have all reported better than expected numbers, meaning they've probably been going up anyway without this boost. But now it's turbocharged. OK, let's consider the double whammy to the downside. Last week, Morgan Stanley's Katie Uberty suggested that Western Digital, the disk drive and flashmaker, could miss its estimate. Western Digital gets 68 percent of its business from overseas. So not only does this company not see such a big jump from a resurgent U.S. consumer, it also doesn't benefit as much from the lower tax rate. Just as many retailers are win-wins here, many techs are like Western Digital in a relative lose-lose situation. Let's throw in Micron. Why don't we put Lamb Research? They're in the AMD. I mean, that's what's happening. Now, what you need to look for right here are anomalies. For example, the transports are, for the most part, hitting all-time highs because they're typically big taxpayers. They'll see major earnings boosts. But what if the numbers aren't there? What if coal traffic slows for the rails or agriculture accrued by rail? Then you're at risk. I think the rails might come down, but only after Wall Street raises earnings estimates based on tax reform to levels that the rails can't make. They've come too far too fast. I find the fundamentals questionable. Similarly, if there's a technology company that can blow away the estimates, I think in a short period of time, its stock can start going higher again. But you've got to be careful. There's, here's a couple things that are happening. VMware, Adobe, Lamb Research, Salesforce, they all had amazing quarters. They shut the lights out. But have you seen their stocks? They've been clobbered again and again because the rotation's not over yet. However, it's also hard to say it's only just starting, right? I think we're closer to a bottom than a top in tech, but we have to wait for more weak-handed investors to fold. It may even happen intraday. What fascinates me most, it's the bank stocks. Here's a group that pays their full freight and taxes, and the stocks are exploding higher, even as very few people genuinely believe the banks are doing much better than expected. So let's take the stock of Goldman Sachs. Now, it's a few points off its highs, right? But because there's very little volatility in the fixed income currency and commodity businesses, it's possible that Goldman may not have the earnings blowout that the action in the stock is forecasting. Do you want to own Goldman Sachs even if it doesn't beat numbers despite the tax cut? How about J.P. Morgan? Sure, the government's going to give them a regulatory break, but the earnings may not be as robust as the stock. You need loan growth. You need many more uh, rate increases. For now, though, that doesn't matter. 
They aren't about to report and will soon get a rate hike from the Fed, and that will allow analysts to raise numbers for the banks anyway. I just don't want any of you to assume that just because corporate taxes are coming down, the earnings are somewhat assured. They're not. For the most part, many of the stocks that are going higher have already reported. That makes them far less dangerous. ATT or Verizon, they have very little earnings worth the moment. Have you seen those stocks that kind of go up every day? But six weeks from now, that could be a different story. One more point to consider. On Friday at midday, we thought that the tax bill might fail. And we heard from ABC News that during the presidential campaign, President Trump directed Michael Flynn to make contact with the Russians. By the end of the day, we learned the ABC report was erroneous. Then on Saturday, the tax bill passed the Senate. We climbed 650 Dow points from the moment the ABC report came out, meaning a tremendous number of investors were out of position. Today, they got back in position. But I think that the late-day reversal will have everyone spooked tomorrow. And we are very overbought, which is a cause for consternation and a reason why we could go lower from here. So the bottom line, I don't know how much fuel is left in this rotation unless analysts get ahead of things and raise their estimates tomorrow. If they don't, then I think the money starts flowing back into tech eventually, maybe later this week if they keep falling at this pace. But if we do get a bunch of estimates for the domestic, some bumps, we'll see more days like today where the bifurcation makes for a heaven and purgatory scenario. Luca in Texas. Luca. Booyah, Dr. Kramer. How are you? I am good. How about you? Wonderful. Thank you. I have a question on Lockheed Martin. It has run up a lot. Uh, should I buy more or trim my position? I was talking with my team for uh, Action Alerts for the club ahead of our Wednesday conference call, and I literally said, you know what? Lockheed Martin down a couple is a real good idea. So I think if it goes down tomorrow, you might want to pick some up. Let's go to Warren in Washington. Warren. Howdy, Jim. Hey, Warren. Let me first say that I empathize for Eagles loss last night. I hope you don't hold it against me. No, I'm not that kind of fan. I'm a real fan, and I just wish them the best. What's up? Uh, likewise. Jim, I'm perplexed with Twilio, and I'm hoping you can help me understand why it's down more than 20% in the last two months, in spite of great progress, such as growing their revenues 40% consistently. They've met and exceeded guidance each of the last two quarters. They have an adjustable market of $45 billion. They just signed their first enterprise license agreement of eight figures over three years. They just did a deal to perform authentication for Microsoft. Right. They're the undisputed. I don't know if you know this. They're the undisputed leaders in this space, so much so that um, Twilio, the name, has now become a verb for developers across the globe. Yes, but remember, remember, this market is very unforgiving. And the stock went up a lot. Now, I know, and the CEO bought a ton of stock here. And I am inclined to totally buy in with you. But ever since they lost a key contract or, you know, they got scaled back by Uber, people keep thinking that there's going to be others. If there aren't others, then, then I've got to tell you, Warren, it will happen. But right now, people are in abeyance until they see who else is going to drop Twilio. I don't think it will be anybody, but that's the negative. All right, let's go to Bob in New York. Bob. Hey, Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you? Not bad. Jim, for the better part of the day, the market reacted positively to the tax bill. Right. However, Visa and PayPal went in the opposite direction. I'm confused. If more cash is available to consumers to spend, how is this not a positive to more revenue to Visa and PayPal? And frankly, you can apply that thinking to the technology sector where businesses will have more cash to spend on PC servers and cloud computing. Well, look, I I totally agree with you, but remember the way the market works. There isn't a lot of new money coming in. So if you're going to go buy stock and take Kroger up or Target up, 
or take any of the uh, Comcast up. These companies, these big investors have to sell something. So what they're doing is selling the NASDAQ to buy the big cap Dow stocks that are more domestic in nature. It's just a rotation, but the rotation is more vicious than I've seen in a long time. Remember, the notion that earnings are either too high or too low is what moves the stock. Today we saw what's called a redistribution. It's a wager that some earnings estimates are going to go higher, and maybe some don't do anything. On May Money Tonight, two potentially big buys are making headlines. I'll tell you what the CBS, Aetna, and Disney Fox deals, or at least the prospective Disney Fox deal, are all about. Then six months ago, Amazon announced it was acquiring Whole Foods, and almost every name in the grocery space sold off. How is the sector faring now? I'm browsing the aisles. And Yaks just took a beating after reporting earnings. Was the move justified? Maybe it's a buying opportunity. I'm sitting down with the CEO to find out. Stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When in doubt, change the narrative. That's been the big theme behind so many mergers and acquisitions this year. And despite all the worries about what 2018 might bring, I bet there will be more change narratives coming because they work. Often they work fast, even if the approvals seem to take forever. Today we got two classic changes of narrative, one from Disney, the other from CVS Health. Disney's once again kicking the tires of 21st Century Fox's non-sports, non-news divisions. CVS is taking the plunge and buying Edna to become a gigantic one-stop shop managed care provider and health clinic within the store. Both are defensive deals. Disney, despite incredible numbers from its theme parks and its movie division, simply can't catch a break. It can't get out from under the shrinking subscriber counts for ESPN and the fear of cord cutting. To some degree, I think that's just unfair. There are a lot of ways to get ESPN, yet we only seem to count those that once came from a cable box. Even that shrewd acquisition of BAM Tech to give Disney what could be the best seamless sports experience from television to the Internet hasn't mattered. It seemed like if you're rooted in the old media, the market won't accept your forays into the so-called new media. So Disney wants to buy these assets from Fox to double down on TV and film while expanding its footprint overseas, which is where the real growth is. Obviously, this is one of those deals where Disney should just get it done. Because like when United Technologies paid up for Rockwell Collins, there simply aren't a lot of beachfront properties, as UTX CEO Greg Hayes said at the time, left for the company that wants to make aviation its hallmark. Well, there aren't a lot of beachfront media properties either. I think Disney Fox is the same kind of story. Why not get it before Comcast, parent company this network, picks it up, or Alphabet for that matter? Fox does more to help Disney's ESPN problem than anything the company can do for itself, including buying back more stock, which it does endlessly. Disney crunched about 100 million shares in the last two years. And if those buys were meant to move the stock higher, well, they haven't done the job. Nothing's been able to outweigh the ESPN worries. You throw in Fox's entertainment assets, suddenly I don't think many people will care that much about ESPN, which is exactly what Disney needs. That's why the stock flew up 4.7% today. How about CVS? This one's a little more difficult. Until a little over three years ago, CVS Health was known as CVS Caremark. Company changed its name when it stopped selling cigarettes, as tobacco is kind of antithetical to that whole health care business. A lot of good that did. 
Stocks only up modestly since then. Again, like Disney, it's a company perceived as being left in the dust by others. This time, the phantom that is Amazon. By acquiring Aetna for cash and stock, by the way, that stock component put more pressure on it, CVS becomes a true healthcare business with a brick-and-mortar kicker. In one fell swoop, CVS would go from a low multiple retailer to a high multiple healthcare company that's no longer shadow boxed with Amazon. Again, it doesn't matter how much CVS pays for Aetna. The story has changed, and that's what's important. Don't worry, the stocks got hit today. They're going to come back. I think there's actually a great opportunity. Now, like when CVS bought Caremark over a decade ago, we know there's going to be collateral damage here. The Caremark deal was widely seen to be an attempt to head off Walmart's cheap generic drug initiative. This time, CVS is taking a hit to gird itself for war against Amazon. I say, why not? Stock's been trapped in retail purgatory for years. Maybe that ended as of today. We know most acquisitions are done for scale and cost cuts, but sometimes you buy another business to change the whole image of your company. And that's the theme of both these deals. And when they're completed, the stocks will run. The regulators may dally, but investors probably won't wait, as the future prospects for Disney and CVS, to me, well, Disney if it does the Fox deal, and CVS if it gets this deal closed, they look a lot more rosy and attractive. To Robin in Oregon, Robin! Jim, greetings from Portland, Oregon. Oh, good to have you. What's going on? Jim, Jacobs Engineering, particularly in light of their pending merger with CH2M. What's your view? No, I don't really like that group. I'll tell you, that's one of the problems that GE has. We do not want to be in the engineering group, CBI neither. These are just very hard businesses floor. We don't want to touch them. We're going to stay away. All right, it's story time, and the narrative is changing. CBS and Disney are trying to change their images. That's what the recent M&A action is all about. Much more mad money ahead, including what Amazon's purchased Whole Foods and the subsequent sell-off of the grocers can tell us about other Bezos-induced declines. Then, as smartphones, mobile moments, and self-driving cars become more popular, uh, accurate information is more important than ever. I'm eyeing one company that's hoping to bank on the trend. Don't miss my exclusive with Yaxt. And it's a cancer-fighting biotech. The stock is up 25% this year. I'll reveal the name and tell you if it's worth owning when I turn in tonight's homework. So stick with Kramer. Listen to me. Uh, it seems like it's happened ages ago, but it actually been less than six months since Amazon announced it was buying Whole Foods. Bye, bye, bye! On that fateful day, June 16th, the whole supermarket sector got beaten to a pulp. With many of the grocers seeing their stocks fall 5 to 10% in a single session. The whole group suddenly needed to be re-rated lower now that the retail Death Star had them in its crosshairs. The weakness of the grocers continued for weeks, or in some cases even for months. But lately, something interesting has been going on. The whole group is making a comeback. In fact, to borrow a line from Mark Twain in response to a premature obituary, reports of this industry's demise have been greatly exaggerated. And it's not just the supermarket stocks that have been hanging in there. They've actually had some remarkable runs, up 20 to 40% from their post-sell-off lows. Crazily enough, at this point, most of the group is trading a 
love where it was when we learned that Amazon was getting into the brick-and-mortar grocery space. That's not supposed to be happening. So what exactly did occur here? And what can we learn about the behavior of the supermarket stocks? And what does it tell us about the way things play out when the Amazon Death Star decides to target a particular industry? First, let me walk you through the timeline. When Amazon told us it was buying Whole Foods for $13.7 billion on June 16th, the whole supermarket space just got pummeled, right? Lost super value. Not one of my absolute favorites, candidly, because I don't like the balance sheet. But this one lost 14.4% of its value. All right, that's a lot. Kroger, this one plummeted 9.2%. Not so good. Costco, incredibly, oh my, because it was doing so well. It sank 7.2%. Sprouts was down 6.3%. Even the larger retailers with a focus on groceries got hit. Uh, Target and Walmart both fell up roughly 5%. It was the summer of the supermarket's discontent. What made this particularly brutal was that literally the day before the Amazon news broke, the whole group had already been slammed, thanks to a disappointing quarter from Kroger, which slashed its full-year earnings forecast. Now, Kroger's the largest player in the space. It's been doing really well. It's an industry bellwether. So its hideous 19% decline quickly spread to the rest of the group. Sprouts lost more than 9%. Super value got hit for 7.4%. The Amazon-related declines were on top of those brutal moves. In short, it did feel like an Armageddon for the grocers, with Amazon really just being the fourth and final horseman of the apocalypse. We already knew that the industry was being torn apart by vicious price competition, made worse by the entrance of two German grocers into the U.S. market. And the hits just keep coming. From where they were right before the Amazon Whole Foods news to where they bought them, super values sank another 35%. Kroger, which has just been, well, at one point was just completely obliterated, Kroger lost another 11%. Costco, incredibly given how well run it is, dropped 10%. Sprouts lost 16%. Now, that is obviously Whole Foods directly related to them. I'm regarding these stocks as falling knives. They cut a lot of people down on the way. But just when it seemed that the grocery store space had been written off and totally left for dead, the whole group has made a remarkable comeback. Super value bottom on October 20th. Since then, it's giving you a 30% gain, even though I don't like it. Kroger's up 36% from October 2nd lows after a decent quarter. Sprouts has gained 37% from its lows. Meanwhile, Costco, Walmart, and Target all bottomed over the summer, rallying 26%, 33%, and 28% respectively. I thought they were supposed to be dead. Those are some pretty impressive moves, especially when you compare them to Amazon, which is up just 15% since we learned about the Whole Foods acquisition. Yeah, the Death Star is the worst performer. So how is it that the supermarket stocks have managed to rebound? Isn't Amazon totally toxic to anyone it competes with? Isn't it the unbeatable Death Star of retail? Sure, nobody in the right mind wants to go up against Amazon. I mean, maybe CVS did this big deal with that because they're worried. But entire industries don't come undone in a single day. What happened here is very simple. Wall Street got ahead of itself. Immediately after we learned that Amazon was taking over Whole Foods, the analyst community started slashing estimates for everyone else in the grocery space off that news. Long term, that could make a lot of sense. Eventually, Amazon will be a threat to everyone in the group, as well as, by the way, those German grocers. They're able to offer incredible bargains at Amazon that put pressure on everybody else's margins. Hey, look, they did it to bookstores. They did it to record stores. I wouldn't be surprised if they can ultimately cause some real pain to the grocery stores of which the biggest, by the way, is this one. Great. Just kidding. 
However, all that is for the future. For the moment, Whole Foods is a niche chain with a few hundred stores that mainly appeals to high-end consumers. You know, about just a few more than 400. They can't take everyone else's business away overnight. Yet the analysts also decided to slash their near-term estimates for many of the supermarkets. That's where they really went wrong. And we found out when these companies reported, like Kroger, their most recent numbers, well, it was a mistake to cut that low. Super value trounced Wall Street. Kroger shot the lights out, 10% earnings beat. That was a, a big run last week. Costco, best of all, posted solidly better than expected earnings two months ago and then gave you a fantastic same-store sales number last week. Sprouts gave you a big beat last month. Some, some well, I don't know, Target, they lowballed the forecast. It was a good number. And Walmart gave you one of the best stories in the Dow. The stock went up about 10% in a single day, and this is not a small-cap stock. What else? Okay, for the past few months, Costco has turned in some increasingly amazing same-store sales, as I mentioned. In October, 7.5%. Then in a monster, November, 10.8%. Walmart blew away the numbers in November after having announced a gigantic $20 billion buyback in October, enough to gobble up 8.5% of the company's market capitalization at the time. Unheard of to see a big cap like that. And yet, even after these moves, most of the grocery-related stocks remain relatively cheap. Super value, the worst of the bunch, sells for eight times next year's earnings adjustments, but I don't want you to speculate on that because I don't like the balance sheet. Kroger trades at 13 times next year's numbers, kind of reasonable. Target trades at under 15 times earnings, not bad when you consider that they underpromise. Now, some are more expensive. Walmart's 20 times earnings, eh, a little pricey. Costco, 26 times, but it's the best operator. 21 times for Sprout, I don't know. Uh, higher quality players, you have to pay up for quality. Now, going forward, I think things could get a little more difficult for these names. For example, SuperValue is too risky to own, as I mentioned. Kroger's in the midst of a big restructuring, which also makes it somewhat risky. But I believe in the ability to turn things around there because I like some of the smaller restaurant initiatives. If they can blow them out across the whole chain, it'll be very interesting. Costco, what can I say? Left me right behind, firing in all cylinders. Sure, I'd like a pullback here. It doesn't seem to give you one. Sprouts is doing quite well, and I think works despite the somewhat elevated valuation. And if you want a major player where groceries are just one part of the equation, I definitely favor Walmart over Target. Long-term, Walmart is the only retailer with the heft to truly challenge Amazon. It's also got the leadership to pull it off thanks to CEO Doug McMillan. Still, the group is largely domestic, and most of them now pay a much lower tax rate after the, well, they will pay a much lower tax rate when the tax bill gets done, and that couldn't be said just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that encourages buyers who believe the worst is over, and I can't blame them, given that almost all these companies can buy back stock and shrink the denominator, giving them more earnings per share. One more thing. We've seen a similar recovery in the dollar stores of late, which makes sense as both Dollar General and Dollar Tree are commonly thought of as stealth grocers. Food makes up a big part of their business. I hope you took my advice when I recommend these two last month because they performed fabulously. Dollar General's up 8.6. It reports Thursday. Dollar Tree up 13.5%. Had a fantastic number. But here's the bottom line. When Amazon declares war on particular industry, it is not an immediate death sentence for the incumbent players. Sure, Amazon crushed the bookstores and the record stores, but it took many, many years to play out, and their balance sheets weren't as good as some of these. That's why the sell from the supermarket stocks, stocks uh, or all grocery players was excessive. And why I think these stocks can continue to climb even after the huge rebounds that they've already had. More important, next time you hear that Amazon's got some group in the crosshairs, like the drugstores, like the auto parts, which are really climbing, don't be so quick to give up on the entire industry. Let's go to Sean in Massachusetts. Sean. Jim, how we doing? I First am doing all, well, out. Sean. How are you? I'm great, man. Shout out to the Coastal Carolina University in my hometown of Greenville, South Carolina. Jim, Absolutely. my question is... 
My question is, with so much growth in the online retail space and more and more retailers moving from brick-and-mortar stores, What's your thoughts on a stock like UPS? I like UPS very much, but you know what? It, it got recommended today, and it hit an all-time high. If I recommend an all-time high stock, and we suddenly get something like we had today and Friday for the NASDAQ, well, what can I say? Everything will come tumbling down. So why don't we wait for a better price? Ooh, okay. This is, this is not going to knock over all these just in a visual fashion, Will. It's just the way Amazon rolls. The Death Star hurt the entire grocery industry, but you know what? The grocers are making a comeback. And you know what? I think after a little while, they can climb again. There was a little too much excessive move in the last couple of days. Now, much more mad money ahead, including a company that puts businesses on the map. But can it do the same for your portfolio? I'm sitting down with the CEO of Yaks to see how it's faring after earnings. Then you stump me, but I'm back tonight with answers. I'm turning in some homework. And all your calls, rapid fire, in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Earlier this year, I introduced you to a newly minted tech IPO named Yext, a company with a cloud-based platform that helps businesses manage important information online. Basically, they sync up with hundreds of services like Google Maps, Facebook, Siri, and Yelp to make sure you're posting your company's location, phone number, and hours of operation correctly. The idea is that Yext makes it so business owners don't need to coordinate with dozens of different social media outlets. Now, I've been a little wary of Yext because I worry about what could happen if someone like Amazon or Alphabet decide to steamroll in. And last Friday, the company reported a solid quarter, but the stock got slammed down 5% because management's outlook for both the next quarter and the full year came in a bit light, and the weakness continued today. So can Yex thrive in this environment? Let's check in with Howard Lerman. He's the co-founder and CEO of Yex. Get a better sense of how his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Lerman, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you. Thanks for Thank having me. Thank you, Howard. Have a seat. All right. All right. So, yeah, it's interesting. You get this kind of split. Like, here's key. Slight beat on 45% enterprise growth. I don't have a lot of companies going at 45% enterprise growth. At the same time, there were people who sold. I'm trying to make sense of it. Can you make sense of it? Well, we had a great quarter, Jim. We grew 39% overall. We uh, came, you know, we exceeded our expectations. Our gross margins came at 73.7%, an increase of 290 basis points over the equivalent period last year. We beat on uh, EPS by a penny. So we feel great about our quarter. We added 55 new enterprise logos, and we're building a big business for the long run. Right. So, I mean, there are people who say that the fourth quarter outlook uh, is a downtick. I, I, you know, I read through it and I guess maybe someone who's very, very close to the situation and is looking at an individual tree in the forest might think it's a downtick. I see a company that is basically in the cloud helping enterprises be able to coordinate so nobody doesn't mistake, you know, lose easy sales. Well, that's exactly right. You know, we are witnessing a major platform shift, the rise of conversational artificial intelligence services like Alexa and Siri and Google Assistant. And each of these services needs knowledge to give you an answer. If you ask Google Assistant how many calories are in a Big Mac, she needs to know the answer to tell you. And Yext lets companies manage all their deep digital knowledge in the cloud and automatically sync it to over 100 services like Facebook, like Siri, like Google Assistant. Okay, so before Yext, what did people do? Well, let's talk about Volvo for a second. Sure. Volvo just signed up with Yext about six months ago. They revealed at our annual user conference onward this year that we've corrected more than 50 
thousand data errors since they signed up. With AutoNation, us. same thing. We've seen, we help com companies manage all their digital knowledge. We correct it, and then we push it out into all these different services everywhere. All right, so let's say a restaurant is offering a two-for-one uh, Taco Tuesday, okay? Uh, and, and they're not sure where that's going to go. Can you give it to Yext, and Yext will correct it wherever it is or make the change? We help companies manage all their digital knowledge. Okay. There's different types of knowledge by vertical. In the case of a restaurant, we help them manage their location data, a coupon like that. Right. And, and increasingly important is their menu. You may be looking as an end user, not just for the actual restaurant right. itself, but maybe you want tacos. You need to have your menu in Google when someone's looking for that kind of thing. Okay, so your T-Mobile and you hire you guys, is that because let's say they did this Netflix idea, which I think is great to give you some free Netflix. There are places where you wouldn't know that. I mean, is Yex going to find all the places? Our customers put in all the knowledge into Yex. Every intelligence service has three layers. They have their UI, their AI, and then they have a knowledge graph. Companies can't control the AI or UI that comes out of Google or Microsoft, right. but they can control the knowledge about them that's in those services. And that's why they can make their own knowledge graph. And so just like uh, every company has a website today, we see an intelligent future where every company has their own knowledge graph containing all the facts, all the details about whether it's a restaurant right. for Taco Tuesday mm -hmm. or T-Mobile trying to sell new phones. Okay, now uh, we have a very strange development in the tax bill coming. Where New York, if you're in New York, you're paying much higher taxes than elsewhere. Will that hurt EX, which is really kind of our Silicon Valley idea that we have in New York? Well, we're headquartered in New York, but one of the most exciting things, Jim, is that digital knowledge management, the space, the new space where we are the pioneer is a global opportunity. We have offices in Europe where we've seen great okay. traction so far. We have even an office in Tokyo, even one in Shanghai. We're a global company. In okay. fact, we just announced an integration with WeChat so that our customers can publish all the deep digital knowledge about their stores or their mm -hmm. products and people and places in Chinese in the most popular service in China, uh, WeChat. All right. Well, look, I think that you need Yex if you're running a business and you're trying to get people to your place. That's just really important. Or you're trying to correct errors as you're from Volvo. That's Howard Lermes, the co-founder and CEO of Yex. Read about it. Understand what's going on. Take a shot. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the lightning round! Come on, it's very well. It's one of the same that's on five by five. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Day? Time for the lightning round! Crazy, I'm going to start with Benjamin in Florida. Benjamin! Hey, hey, Jim. How you doing? With the recent semiconductor sell off and the attractive valuation, is it time to look at the AEIS, Advanced Energy Industries? Well, see, I think that what you have to do first is go with the traditionals. You have to buy an Intel or a Texas Instruments before you go down the food chain like this because that's what's going to bottom first. And then you go to Julie in California. Julie. Hello, Kramer. Julie. My stock is Prexair. Oh, what yeah. a winner that is. What a winner that is. You just hold on to it. It's doing fine. Jan in California. Jan. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. I have two questions about HiMax technology. Yes. First, should I buy the stock at current price, and what is the 12-month target, in your opinion? Well, you know, this is a company that's a Taiwan-based company, and I can't learn enough about it to be able to make a judgment for you. I'm sorry. Let's go to Glenn in California. Glenn. 
Jim, hey, it's a pleasure to speak with you, man. You're an amazing teacher, and I Thank really you. appreciate your energy and your humor. But I need your guidance here. Sure. I know there's a rotation out of the NASDAQ at the moment. Oh, terrible. It's a, a great company, and it continues to get a buy rating everywhere, but it's plummeted about 40 points in one week, and I'm confused. Is there something internally that I'm not aware of that's dragging this stock down? Can this stock recover? And if so, do you see a bottom? What's the stock? Lamb. Lamb. Okay, Lamb is... So you got to go over what Katie Huberty said from Morgan Stanley. She's saying that Flash is going to roll over. Lamb makes machines to make Flash. If that's the case, then that stock is rolling over too, and it makes a lot of sense. I didn't think Lamb's a great company, but I'm not going to stick my head in the Lamb lion's den. Not yet. i got to wait to see it go to where all the sellers are done, and the panic sellers are still very much in there. Jimmy in New York. Jimmy. Hey, Jim. How you doing, buddy? All right. How are you? Okay, what do you think of uh, Sugu, S-O-G-O? Another Beijing company. I'm not going to recommend it. I think these companies, other than, uh, you know, frankly, just other than Alibaba, I'm not touching them. I need to go to Quan in Louisiana. Quan. Jim, how are you? I am good. How about you? Good. I'm doing great. I have a question. Um, Stock uh, CenturyLink, um, stock symbol CTL. Yeah, that's I, I got need- a 14% yield, which is a total red flag, and I think people are sell, in sell, that. Sell, 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 I don't sell. like the stock, and I don't like the stadium either, for that matter. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Every time you guys ask me about a stock that I don't know that well, I always circle back to it and give you the full story after doing more research, because that's my job. It's my job to tell you both what you need to know and what you want to know about the market. So now that Wall Street's doing a big victory lap, although it was not a total one since we had a terrible reversal over the Senate's passage of the gigantic corporate tax, well, let me just say, I think it's time to catch up on some homework. First, on October 23rd, Tony in Pennsylvania asked me about a company called PBF Energy, and that's Paul Bob Frank Energy. I had to do some digging. These refiners are all hard to understand. PVS is a major independent oil refiner with operations all over the country, although 40% of the capacity is on the East Coast. Thanks to a couple of acquisitions in recent years, the company now has five refineries. They got the newest one in Torrance, California, another one just outside New Orleans, one in Delaware City, Delaware, and one in Paulsboro, New Jersey. last one's in Toledo, Ohio. A lot of geographic diversity for a relatively small refiner. Now, PPF stock has been on a real tear lately. Shares are up 60% just since the middle of August. Yeah. What's driving the move? Okay, in early August, the company posted a disappointing quarter that was weighed down by significant maintenance and integration costs at their newer refineries. But management also talked about the potential for stronger results in the second half. Then we got the two big hurricanes, Harvey and Irma, that shut down a lot of capacity in the Gulf Coast. But since PBF only had one refinery in the Gulf Coast, they came out of the storms relatively unscathed. They were able to profit as the cost of things like gasoline temporarily spiked thanks to a lack of supply. Remember, they get the higher price even though nothing happened to the refinery. Sure enough, when PBF reported again last month, the numbers were excellent. Not just because of the storms, but also because the company's execution really did improve, especially in their California and Louisiana facilities. Plus, management reaffirmed that PBF is committed to paying that hefty dividend, despite some uh, choppy recent free cash flow trends. And even after the stock's huge run, it still yields nearly 3.7%. So where do I come down? PBF has had a staggering run. 
compared to the other refiners. And while the industry seems to be in very good shape here, I got to tell you, sometimes you just sit down and you say, you know what? I missed this one. I didn't get it early enough. I let it go. I didn't see it. And that's what's happening here. Stock has had to run so far so fast that I want to stay on the sidelines. At least until we get a big market-wide sell-off that causes the price to come down substantially for no good reason. And remember, those things do happen. Without a significant pullback, it's hard to give this one my blessing. And if you don't believe me, look at some of these tech stocks today. You think anything really happened that was bad at a line tech? I mean, come on. Next, on October 25th, Danny in Pennsylvania called about one that I haven't talked about in a long time. It's called Barnes Group. And I said i got to get back to him. Now, Barnes manufactures highly engineered, high-quality precision parts, products, and systems for critical applications in aerospace and industrial settings. To break things down even more, Barnes's industrial division makes plastic injection molding equipment, nitrogen gas springs used in uh, metal stamping dies, all sorts of precision mechanical products. On the aerospace side, the company makes a ton of different components and assemblies, assembles as well as offering maintenance, repair, and overall serv- overhaul services. Now, Barnes has been around for a long time. This is a 160-year-old company. In September, they hosted their first investor day ever. Management laid out an impressive strategy, talking about how they can keep focusing on high-margin, high-growth businesses while improving the productivity of all their divisions and making smart acquisitions, particularly on the industrial side. On top of that, Barnes gave us some nice targets for 2020. Forecasting solid mid-single-digit organic growth, ooh, nice, and some impressive margin expansion. Now, we'll see if they can deliver on that promise, although when the company last reported in late October, despite delivering strong sales growth, the margins were weak, something we've been seeing from them for most of the year. However, management indicated that most of the headwinds they've been facing have abated. That should make for easier things, easier numbers going forward. I like that. Now, the stock has rallied about 70% over the last couple of years. Stocks pulled back hard in October following this disappointing quarter. Shares still down 8 bucks from their highs. Ooh, I like this. I think Barnes is giving you a nice entry point. And industrials like this one are very much in the sweet spot of this market right now. A well-run industrial play with an aerospace kicker that's down 8 points? I'll take it. Finally, on October 25th, Eric in California wanted to know about Array Biopharma, A-R-R-Y for short. I said I need to do some brushing up on this. Now, by the way, that's often going to happen with the biotechs because they're all about what's going on in stage one, stage two, stage three, and their partnerships. Array develops small molecule drugs that are uh, designed to fight cancer, and major pharma players love to collaborate with them, which is why the company has five partnered therapies currently in phase three clinical trials. Pretty good. Company also has large stable drugs in phase two, and they actually own two of these outright. Now, on the one hand, biotech is pretty out of favor on Wall Street fashion show at the moment. But on the other hand, Array has a lot going for it. FDA is going to make a decision on two of their new drugs as a combination therapy for BRAF, that's B-R-A-F, mutant melanoma. We know they'll give it the thumbs up or thumbs down by the end of next June. So far, the data here has been very strong. So I'm betting on an approval for this rare but aggressive form of skin cancer. And if I'm right... Array's drugs should be able to go toe-to-toe with the current standard of care. At the same time, they're also studying this pair of drugs as a treatment for BRAF mutant colorectal cancer. And the preliminary phase three data we got in September was very encouraging. Basically, any cancer with the BRAF mutation could be on the table here. We should also get some phase two data for Array's wholly owned drug. That's ARRY-382. And that's in combination with Merck's key Truda, you know, key anti-cancer drug, as a treatment for solid tumors. And that'll be sometime next year. Okay, 
Now, here's what I feel about it. It's a very speculative developmental stage. Biotech, it's got no products on the market, long way from being profitable, and their minimal revenues all come from these partnerships with larger drug companies. Well, are they going to run out of money? No. Array just raised $240 million in the second year. So the company's flush with cash, more than enough to get them to the end of next year. When if things go well, they'll be receiving these royalties on two drugs that are up for FDA approval. My verdict? Hey, you know what? I like this one. It's got an impressive pipeline. And you know you're doing the right thing when Roche and AstraZeneca want to work with you. But as with all early-stage biotechs, I can only give Array my blessing for speculation, meaning don't invest in any kind of money that you'll actually need for your retirement. This one is discretionary, mad money only. And please, no nest egg. Stick with me. Candidly, I'm not that fond of intraday reversals, and I'm not that fond of this kind of willy-nilly rotation. So I want you to be very careful. I think the domestic stocks have gone up too much. If we do get some earnings bumps tomorrow, you got to do some selling. And tech has fallen too much, but it's still too early to pull the trigger. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.